to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter number 2. I want to thank the choir for the anthem this morning. I love music. I love all forms of music. I like the words that are in music. And, you know, sometimes I listen to songs like, you know, the one just now, written, uh, composed by Mary McDonald, if my memory's right. And I think, how did they come up with that? How did they come up with that? And I'm reminded of the fact that God gives us all a song every day of our lives. If nothing else, we have a song that the angels cannot sing. And our task is to continuously sing that song to all around us, knowing that the words will come. Sometimes they'll be great and high words like we just heard, and sometimes they'll be like Chris Christopherson wrote when he said, I pulled out my cleanest, dirty shirt. But nevertheless, the words will come. 1 Peter chapter 2, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are our rock, our mighty fortress, our anchor in the storm, that you are our living stone. Lord, as we look at a text to which that message points, we pray that you would give us all wisdom and insight that we can know what it is that you desire for us, that we can know who we are and what we are to do in this world, that we may better serve you. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Two of the most basic questions in our personhood are who am I? And what is my purpose? If you read through all of the philosophy you can find across history, they're basically pointing in some way or fashion to those two questions. Who am I and what is my purpose? If you were to go through the uh, Scriptures, and particularly you were to focus on the wisdom literature like the book of Job or Psalms or even now as we study Ecclesiastes, we are attempting to understand and to discover 
who am I and what is my purpose? Our text this morning goes a long way in unearthing the answers to these questions. First question, who am I? In other words, what is my identity? People find their identity in our world in any number of ways. They find their identity in their gender, in their race, in their occupation, their familial role, in other words, what role they play in their families. They find it in their nationality. They find it in their family backgrounds. They find it in their political affiliations. Some people form their identity around less than stellar ways, taking the good from the list that I just offered to you all and twisting and turning them into grotesque identities that they use to declare their superiority to the, and others' inferiority. There are also people who create their identity through their limitations, focusing on what they don't have or who they aren't. For them, things like sickness or educational deficiency are markers for how they create their identities. I grew up in Richlands, North Carolina. In the Richlands of 2023 and the Richlands of 1994 are completely different. And Richlands in 1994 was still a very small place, a very rural place. You know, our greatest claims to fame were the fact that we had a, just a stellar future Farmers of America chapter. And we focus a lot on academics. And then, and we were good. We were, I mean, we put out some smart folks. But when I went off to Carolina and I started meeting people from places like Myers Park and Broughton, and they had had experiences that I couldn't even begin to comprehend, and they didn't even know what FFA was. I started feeling more and more stupid and I would get into classes and I would, they would use words and you all know me, I love big words. And they would use words that I didn't even comprehend or understand. And then I went off to Duke and it was even worse. And I'll be honest with you. People say, why do you read so much? Why do you, why do, you do all this? Because I'm stupid. I feel that in the depths of who I am. And it forms my identity. I was scared to death to apply to go get my doctorate. And Eliza will tell you that when I drove to Richmond for the first time last September, I was beyond nervous because I knew I was going to be in there with a whole bunch of people 
who probably were smarter than I. And I was going to be behind the eight ball. Because I've never gotten out of that shadow of little rich lands. Beloved, these guides for creating our identity should be understood, though, through our text this morning. Because the reminder to us that our text is addressed to people who really have lost the ability to have their identifiers. They are people in exile. That's who First Peter is addressed to. People are in exile. Indeed, in chapter 2, verse number 11, he's going to again say, you are exiles and sojourners. They're landless. They're nationless. They're potentially poor. They have every reason to identify with something other than what, what they should be identifying. And so I cannot understand, I cannot fully grasp here in, in 2023 the power of verses 9 and 10 in chapter 2 in their life. Because here are these landless, exiled people who are told, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our identity, beloved, is found in our relationship with God. That is our primary identity. All other identities that you and I may come to terms with fall secondarily to that primary identity that we have in our relationship with God. We are God's people, you'll notice here in the text. Once you were not a people, verse 10 says, but now you are God's people and God chose you for his possession. Verse number nine says, he says, once you did not have hope, but now what are you? A people of hope. Beloved, what is the chief definer of your identity today? Is it this? Is it the declaration that God has made over your life? You say, but Mark, I, I want to identify with this or I want to identify with that. I want to identify with the other. Beloved, I'm not saying those things are bad, but again, I am saying they cannot be the primary identity for your life if you are a child of God. You have to come to terms with what those secondary identities are through the lens of who you are in Christ Jesus. Because only then can you fully understand what all those other identities mean. You have to see them through the lens of Jesus. Because if not, those other things may limit you. Those other things may keep you held back. Those other things may not allow freedom to grow in your life. Those other things may not allow grace to be fully rooted in your life. Those other things may not enable you to have hope in your life. But if you understand that you are a people of hope, that you are known and loved by God, and God calls you as part of his people, then there are no limitations. There may be limitations that society may try to attempt to put on you. 
But if your heartfelt identity is in Christ, there's nothing that Christ working through you cannot accomplish. So you've got to know what your identity is and you have got to make it your primary identity. Now, as to our second question, what is my purpose? A couple of things are exposed here in the text this morning. First, we are told that we are purposed for community. Verse number four says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Beloved, we are purposed as living stones in a spiritual house. What does that mean? Well, it means that we all have a role to play. Because if you're a spiritual stone, a living stone in a spiritual house, just think of it not in spiritual terms. Think of it in absolute terms. And what does that mean? If you're a stone, you've got a spot in a wall, right? If you are not in that wall, what happens? Humpty Dumpty comes crashing down. I'll tell you what happens. But if you are in your spot, in the wall, then community occurs. Community occurs because then you have divided all of the pressures, you divided all the weight, and you can rely on one another to get you through what you need. He says that we are being lifted into a spiritual house. Beloved, when you understand who you are, when you understand who you are, it helps in your placement. What do I mean by that? Because some of us would take our placement and we would say, well, we should be maybe down here on the bottom because we don't think much of ourselves and we don't think of our identity through Christ. We think that we are useless or are unwanted or whatever. And so we would put ourselves at the bottom when a reminder that Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so maybe he wants to put us somewhere close to the top. Or the other hand, some of us may say, well, look at me. Look what I do for a living. Look what I have. Look where I went to school. Look what, how much money I Look who my mama and daddy are. Therefore, I should be put at the top when what God says is, no, you, you need to go down here on the bottom. Your, your best spot for making the community work is down here on the bottom. And if you look at yourself through the lens of Jesus Christ, you say, I, you say okay, God. Why? Because he is the, remember back to last Sunday, he is the shepherd and overseer of your faith. So he says, you know what, this is the pasture I want you to go. And you say, guess what? I know that that's always going to be the greener pasture where you send me, so I'm going to follow you right there. And so we, when we understand our identity, then we understand that we are made for community and that we understand that we have a role to play and it's not the role we choose, it's the role that God chooses for our life. Notice it says that he is the one who places us. Beloved, are you living in community today?
Are you helping everyone to bear their load? Are you in your proper spot in the wall? Are you doing what you're called to do? Are you living your purpose? I'm not really sure what to do with that purpose, Mark. Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse number six says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Did you notice who Jesus is? Jesus is the cornerstone here. Now we, you know, I, we don't think a lot about cornerstones and we, we don't really take them to heart anymore, but a cornerstone in the ancient world, beloved, was, was placed and it was placed uh, in, in such a way that when they, they laid it out, they had a grand ceremony for it, they put it down, and, and what happens? Every other rock, excuse me, every other stone, every other brick, every other thing that is going to be built on that edifice is built off of that cornerstone. That cornerstone provides the direction for how the whole rest of the structure is going to be built. Cornerstones are important. Cornerstone says this is how we're going to go. Beloved, our text is clear. Jesus is our cornerstone. He earns that right. He earns the right to give direction because he was raised from the dead. He was resurrected. Jesus beat death and is seated at the right hand of God the Father where he is called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so, beloved, as the chief cornerstone, he can give all the direction he wants to give because he's earned that right. And our question is, are we making sure that our identity and our purpose is based off of the direction that the cornerstone has laid? Or are we following off on some other tangent? Our lives and our communities have to be built at his direction. Now there are some who will say to me sometimes... Uh, dear friend in Enfield used to say this to me all the time. He says, I just want to know what God's purpose for my life is. And I, he said that about three times to me, and I never really had a good answer until about the third time. And on the third time, he said, I want to know what God's purpose for my life is. And I picked up my Bible, and I said, follow this. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, just what I said. Follow this. Well, what part? I said, well, let's just start with the red letters. Let's just start with the red letters. How good are you? Uh, God's purpose for your life is that you are to love God and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. How good are you doing that? I said, me, I'm still stuck on that one. I said, there's still some folks I'm having a hard time loving. I'm related to most of them. But beloved, you're trying to figure out well, uh, how to get direction for your life. We'll start with what Jesus said. Are you doing what Jesus said? 
Are you living out what Jesus said? Are you loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you forgiving as Jesus calls you to forgive? It's part of the model prayer, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Forgiveness in all of its forms, and we, we, we understand that, that that could be we have to forgive other people. Sometimes that means that we have to forgive ourselves. Jesus also goes on, and that's what we're spending tonight on. Jesus says, don't forget the people that you're overlooking. Don't forget the marginalized and the disenfranchised of this world. In Matthew 25, he says, because that's where I am. So when you overlook them, you overlook me. Beloved, are you following his directions this morning? Is he your cornerstone? And by that, he's then giving you your marching orders for your purpose. I'd be remiss, though, if I didn't uh, recall, help us recall that he also says to us that we are to go into the whole world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Make disciples, excuse me. Go in the whole world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. In other words, go back to that whole love, forgive, remember thing. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. We, we, we have to remember that as part of our direction-finding skills as he is the cornerstone. So it's helpful for us to note that twice in our text this morning, you and I are told that we are royal and holy priest. Royal and holy priest. We are a royal or holy priesthood. He says, what does a priest do? What does a priest do? Well, let's just look at it from a strictly Old Testament perspective. The priest was the one who brought God to, every, to the masses. The priest was the one who went out and said, this is the direction that God says we should go. Oh, by the way, this is, this is also not just what God says, but God wants you to remember, know that he remembers you. God wants you to know that he knows you. God wants you to know that he loves you. God wants you to know all these good things about you and him. But the priest also was the one who took the masses to God. The, 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 the priest was the one who, who went to God and said, God, forgive. He made intercession for them to to say that, that God would forgive their sins. And to this task we are called. To this task, our purpose is to take God to the masses and take the masses to God. You know, for a long time, this was a great distinctive of Baptist life. We are a priesthood of believers. We proudly beat our chest over. And somehow over time, we forgot that all of us listening at home, sitting in these pews, driving down the road later this week listening to the podcast, all of us have an identity and a purpose to be a priest in God's kingdom. 
Somehow or another, we got it in our minds that it was other people's job to bring God to the masses and bring the masses to God. Primarily, it was the role of clergy, or maybe we would get further down and and say, well, maybe that's the role of the clergy, because that's what we pay them to do, and then it's also the deacon's role to go do that, but it's not my role to go do that. And beloved, when we think that, we have forgotten that you and I are all priests. Don't argue with me. Argue with the book. That's what God said. We're all priests. And if we say, well, that's that person's job to do that, then what are we doing? We are putting tremendous pressure. We are putting overemphasis on that to others. We are putting us on to others. And we're not letting them, by the way, do what God made them to do, who God called them to be, and, and who God created their identity for. In other words, we're not allowing them to be who God says they are because we're shirking our responsibilities off onto them and they can't do but just so much. Beloved, here at Grove Park, each of us have a priestly purpose to play. Each of us. A purpose that is found in our purpose for community. To care and to help one another. To offer an encouraging word when we have to or when we need to. Yes, it's to understand that we have our limitations. But we also need to know that in our role, we are to expand ourselves through learning and growth. We have a purpose, beloved, in taking God to the masses. It is not some catchy phrase that I'm using for us to grow by. It is not some some spirited emphasis that we could all rally behind. But beloved, when I say that each of us should have five people that we are seeking to bring to faith, it is a call for us to live out our role as priest in God's kingdom. It's not esoteric. It's not a suggestion It is us being called to the purpose and identity that God has called for each of us. Through his scripture. So again, don't take it up with me. Call up God and say, I don't think this needs to be in here. You say, Mark, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I don't have the skills, I don't have the, you name it, I just can't do it. Let me tell you about one of my favorite people in the whole world. And he, he probably doesn't know he's one of my favorite people in the whole world, but he is. He became one of my favorite people in the whole world my first fall at Sandy Branch. Went on the steps one Sunday morning at the end of service. He come out past me and, and he said, Preacher, did you go to the game yesterday? I said, yeah. He said, Preacher, did you yell at the game yesterday? 
I said, yeah. He said, preacher, did you lose your temper at the game yesterday? I said, yep. He said, I did too. And after that, we just saw each other as just normal people. His name is Jimmy Kidd. Jimmy Kidd is a cattleman. And he just tends cows. He used to work for the DOT. He retired from there. And he raises cows now. You say, well, Mark, why is Jimmy one of your favorite people? Because we got a new couple at, Grove, at uh, Sandy Branch. They were about to get married, and they were looking for a church. And uh, they, didn't want, they wanted a church of their own. Not their family's church, but a church of their own. And though one of them's family had links to Sandy Branch, he hadn't grown up there. And Jimmy Kidd, I found out later, was instrumental in getting Garrett Barker and Kenley Barker to Sandy Branch. Because every morning, while I was fast asleep still across the street, at 6 o'clock in the morning, Jimmy Kidd went to Elois's for breakfast. And Garrett Barker went there too. Garrett Barker's about 22 at this point, And Jimmy is about 75. And every morning over breakfast, they would just talk and Every now and then, Garrett would say something about because Garrett was a Carolina fan, and Jimmy would say, you know, our preacher's a Carolina fan. Garrett would say something else, and next couple of days, and Jimmy would respond, and he said, well, you know, you ought to go talk to Mark about that. And Garrett, after a while, just kept listening to Jimmy talk about folks and things at Sandy Branch, and the next thing you know, there's Garrett on a Sunday morning, and then the next thing you know, there's Garrett's fiance on Sunday morning with Garrett. And the next thing you know, they're calling me up and they say, we want to join Sandy Branch. And so here we got a young new couple. I got to baptize Kinley. Kinley has an ear problem. She had never been baptized. So she's where I learned how to pour water on a head and still call it a Baptist baptism. I got to dedicate the first of their children. They now got two. I've watched Kinley and Garrett grow in faith. And who does it all start with? A cattleman who will not pray in church, be a deacon, teach Sunday school. He will usher, but he witnessed to his faith again and again and again and again and you will sit here this morning and you will say to me preacher I'm just a normal person you can't get any more normal than Jimmy Kidd and so I'm telling you this morning if Jimmy Kidd can do it you can do it how do I know that because I'm just normal too 
I pray every Sunday, Lord, don't let me puke during the sermon. That is our purpose. Are you rooted in your purpose today or are you floundering out doing other things that God does not call you to? Are you intent on your five? Are you intent on following the red letters? Are you intent on understanding that your primary identity is who God declares you to be and nothing else? All others come underneath it. For then, beloved, you can not only change someone's life, but you can change heaven by helping to populate it with other people. But it all starts with you being rooted in your purpose. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand that you have called us to a holy task, a holy priesthood, that our identity and our purpose is in you and you alone, and that you have called all of us to do your work in this world. And help us, Lord, to understand that we cannot shirk our responsibilities off onto other people. For then we miss the great blessing of seeing you enable us to do things that we cannot do. Help us, Lord, to take steps right now to grow in grace and in who you call us to be. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound. Thank you.